I'm so excited about today's guest. She is a master of communication design and a graduate of the University of Cambridge Business Sustainability Management Program, which just makes her so knowledgeable about sustainability. So if you were looking for tips and new perspectives on how to be more sustainable, this is the episode for you. She has so many great ideas. She's also the co-founder of New Standard Studio, which helps businesses come up with sustainable solutions and go from idea to implementation. So in her work, she talks about businesses, but she also has a lot of great ideas for us as people. And she has a very charming accent, so I hope you enjoy that too. If you like her style, you can check out the New Standard Studio blog, where she writes about all of this stuff at length. I'm so honored and excited to introduce you to Monica Kanakova. You're listening to the Half Hippie Podcast with Tara Milo. I'm a half hippie, half princess, cat mom, city girl, introvert, and entrepreneur. I don't fit into a box, and you don't either, but I'm committed to making the world a better place through my lifestyle and my business. I love talking about sustainability because I know that you can make a positive difference without giving up the things you love. Here on the Half Hippie Podcast, we're talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. We'll share stories about what makes us all half hippie and what our other half does to make a positive impact in the world. Let's go. Since it's the Half Hippie Podcast, I would love to know what a hippie means to you because in America it started because of in reaction to the Vietnam War but what does it mean to you? Hmm. I always think of the 70s fashion so uh-huh. I always think of flowers in the ha- uh, in one's hair I always think of burning brass <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I always think of women raising their voice and finding a way to speak up. Yeah. To me, hippie is someone who speaks up for equality and speaks up for peace. Mm. So I think I see it very in a very political way. Yeah, but I love that so much. That's so beautiful. We should all speak up for equality and peace. (laughs) And in a way, it's like with the name you write because, and this is a very historical perspective on it, but when you think about the 70s, it was all about the Vietnam War, right? Yeah. And it was all about sort of not treating other countries the way that the Western world treated Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, it's like then we had the 80s and it was all about uh, finance. And it's like then in the 90s, it was all about democratization of consumerism and it was all about consuming. And with looking at or like thinking about hippies nowadays, it's very much about how do we treat uh, how do we treat the global south? How how do we treat the producing countries? How do we how do we deal with our resources? How do we speak up? How do we make sure that we give other people the same space that we think everyone deserves? Yeah, that's so true. 
So I think it's also about sharing the right to speak up and sharing the right how much we use in terms of resources. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because it all goes somewhere. Like when we throw something in the trash, it goes somewhere and other people are dealing with that and they're creating all of this stuff for us. Like when the U.S. blames China for having more emissions than the U.S. does, it's because China is making stuff for the U.S. <laughs> like that's why they have more emissions. They have more factories for us to consume even those things. Have more people. Yes, like, yes. Like when we, we had this discussion at home because China does actually a lot for um, environmentalism and a lot for green energy, even though we might not be aware of it. And what I find so interesting is, so the UN developed the Sustainable Development Goals. Mm -hmm. And the Sustainable Development Goals came after the Millennium Goals. And the Millennium Goals were for the Millennium, so around 2000. I can't give you the, the specific date. Mm -hmm. But the idea was all about making development goals for the Global South, for the developing countries. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really, people weren't really working towards the goals as they should have. And so they have learned from what went wrong. I developed a new set of goals, which was the Sustainable Development Goals for yeah. uh, 2030. And with the Sustainable Development Goals, every country in this world is asked to try to reach the 100 points, so the highest rank. Mm -hmm. And there are two different scores. And this is something that I find not enough people are talking about. So the one score is for the country itself, like how does the country do by itself, for itself, like for its own people within its own border? But yeah. there is a second score, which is called the spillover score. And that I feel like is much more telling. Yes. And the US, for example, doesn't do that great on the overall score. I think you would have to look it up and correct me and then add it to this podcast. But I think <laughs> the US is at about 70. And okay. um then the spillover score for a lot of developing countries is even lower. And the spillover yep. score is how the country does in terms of other countries, how its decision and its legacy and uh, its laws affect and how it does business affect the countries outside of its own borders. And there we all have a lot of work to do. And I can give you this the sort of scores for Germany, because I think Germany is at about 80-something in terms of its own development score, and then 60-something yeah. in terms of its spillover score. So Oof. we can just see in numbers that this really doesn't work. That's amazing. I'm glad they're measuring that stuff, because it's so important to see how countries are treating other countries so that we can take responsibility Correctly, because you can't just say, well, we're doing fine, but we're outsourcing all of our pollution to other countries. <laughs> which is which is the problem, because even when we talk about recycling, so when mm -hmm. we talk about recycling for, we always have to question, what does something mean? And with recycling, many times, as soon as the waste leaves the, the country's borders, it yeah. already is considered recycled, even though it's Ugh. not. And then it's just being shipped to another country. Exactly. 
And they don't want our stuff anymore. <laughs> Which has been an issue in the past couple of years, just because a lot of countries are no longer accepting the waste from the Western countries. Yeah. And so the Western countries are now having to, like, they have to figure out different systems because if other countries no longer take on their waste, well, what are we going to do about it, right? Yep. Oi. Now, you tell me about your background. Where did you grow up? I was born in the Czech Republic, and then I got lucky because I got to move to Austria, to Vienna, to live with my father. And my father came to Austria as a guest worker. He works as a nurse. And uh, in the Czech Republic, they just didn't want to have male nurses. <laughs> and in Austria, they were just glad to get any nurse. Yeah. This is why he moved. And um, from today's perspective, it's kind of funny because to me, it's always been normal that men can be nurses just because my father is one. Right. And uh, then because... I was born in 86, which I think is relevant because in 91, um, a lot of things have changed in the Czech Republic. It became Czechoslovakia and it kind of stepped out of communism. And even though a lot of people nowadays would say, well, you didn't grow up in a communist regime. Sure. Mm -hmm. Theoretically didn't. But at the same time, you you can change the political political system from one day to another, but you can't change the minds of people. And if someone's been socialized in a system for decades, that's just not going to go away overnight. And so I sort of had this very, like, as my partner said to me, it's like he sees in me the Czech child, but then the Austrian teenager. And so I got to experience different different concepts of what what is normal. Because once I was in Austria... At the age of 21, I then moved to the UK and then I moved back to Austria to do a bachelor's degree in interior architecture. And then afterwards, I left again. I went to Holland to to do my master's degree in communication design. And then I moved back to Austria again. But then one year later, I moved to Germany where... I have been more or less since. Mm-hmm. I've just, I was just very fortunate to be able to say um, or to to be able to call different countries my home at some point. Yeah, and growing up in a communist country, you were telling me that everything is reused. Like they're, they didn't consume so much. They, you would reuse your glass. You would reuse everything. So there wasn't as much waste. So I have a few very funny memories from today's perspective. One of the memories is I remember that milk, for example, was sold in plastic bags and it was just like sealed back on both sides. And this is how people would sell milk. But then there were so many old ladies that would take those milk packages and turn them into bags. And so now when you see tote bags nowadays, they would literally just have free milk bags next to each other. And then on top of it, once more free bags. And it literally gave you the shape of a modern tote bag, but it was made from these milk packages. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, They're just pretty, reusing areas. I've been like trying to find a picture online for a ridiculous amount of hours, I think, but it's like <laughs> I couldn't find one. 
Another thing that I remember is, so when I was little, my mother would put newspaper, like two huge sheets of newspaper into the trash bin. And then you would take out the whole bin. And because I was responsible for taking out the bin, it was me. But it's like, you know, you can't think of an adult that is like 160, which is how big I am now, 160 centimeters. You have to imagine like a hundred, like a meter tall child with this massive trash can. And (laughs) I would go downstairs with this whole trash can and I would open this like very heavy metal trash um, container. Mm -hmm. And it was very sticky and it was very stinky because obviously it was trash. Yeah. And I also think they didn't pick it up that often anyway. So, and then I would have to just like take the bucket, take the bin and put it above my hat and then like try to get all the trash out. But it's like nowadays you just have this plastic bag and then you, you know, you have this sealed, um, yeah, this like sealed wrap and you just throw it in and it's not a problem. But it's like, I always really hoped that this entire content of the bin but also the the trash uh, like the newspaper sheets they would all go in at once so that I wouldn't have to deal with it like kind of like take out the newspaper sheets and then also throw it away it was yeah. like such a hassle because we just wouldn't have like no one would have bags that would right. be meant for trash from the start that like that concept just didn't exist Mm-hmm. you know yep. you would just already have bags that you were meant to throw away it was just something that just wasn't part of my childhood but I do have to admit that I'm now so much more conscious or like I'm actually still grateful how easy it is to deal with trash but then I'm also kind of I sort of know that it would be much more sustainable to do it the way that my mother did it yeah of course yeah because Stuff doesn't break down. Even if it's biodegradable, it doesn't break down in the landfills because it's wrapped in plastic and it doesn't get oxygen and all these things that you need for things to compost. So so I'm actually glad that you're bringing it up because that's something that I always say that if people just pick up this from a conversation with me about waste, that that's already enough because mm-hmm. there's a huge problem with biodegradable bags A lot of people use these so-called biodegradable bags and they put them into the compost bin where it cannot biodegrade. And it's one of the reasons is sort of compost in most most, um, cities or most towns have a bio, like they have a period where the, the compost can biodegrade and that is six weeks. And those bags usually need 12 to 15 weeks. Ah, okay. And because they don't have the time, literally they have to pick up those bags out of the like compost that they get in the collection. And yep. um, they have to separate it and burn it. So it's like, it makes no sense for someone to compost to then like throw it away in this so-called biodegradable bag because it's not going to biodegrade. It's just making the work of the people that deal with the compost even mm-hmm. harder. And the yeah. other thing about biodegradable bin bags or like biodegradable plastic is it just sounds great as a concept. Yeah. Uh, at this point, from what I know is the science isn't as far. And so it's like, 
if biodegradable plastic gets mixed up with normal plastic, it might actually damage the whole load of plastic, making it completely unrecyclable, just because Mm -hmm. it has a different way of how it biodegrades or doesn't. And then the other thing with it is even that, you know, it, it just sounds so great to say, oh, you know, it's it's made from corn or all this. But this is also another monoculture that mm-hmm. is just making, um, yeah, uh, that's just making agriculture much harder and also not serving biodiversity. Right. And yeah. also not a solution. So how can we do better? Like, what's one thing? So we don't want to use these biodegradable things because it's not actually biodegradable and it just makes us feel better. So maybe we get loose in some other area of our life, but what could we do differently or better? So when it comes to dealing with trash, um, and now we get back to the dishwasher discussion. Because yeah. <laughs> we just had it before you clicked on recording. Um, <laughs> so for compost, it just makes sense to get... Um, to get a bucket that you can put into the dishwasher. And so what I usually do is I bring down the compost. Well, I do two things because we also have worms in our kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, so we feed our worms because they compost for us, but because we do produce more than they can handle. Um, we also have a compost bin that we bring downstairs and put it into the compost um, um, container that we have downstairs in the building. And then I just quickly wash out the wash out the bucket, and I have this hose next to the toilet, which is something that you probably know from like if you've traveled to Asia, they have the um, bum showers. That's what I have. I have a toilet hose, and yeah, it's okay, the, my okay. favorite thing in my apartment. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> We are also by now laughing that I'm a bumfluencer because I've recommended it to so many people. <laughs> um, so I usually use the hose. I wash out the bin and then I put it in the dishwasher. And I mostly do that about once a week. Yeah. The other thing that makes a lot of sense is, for example, for paper, um, we also just bring down the whole paper um, bin that we have and we empty it without having anything for the paper. So it's yeah. like we just throw things out loose. And I think if that's possible and if you can just wash out the bin, that is probably the most sustainable thing that you can do. Yeah, not putting everything in a bag, just put it in loosely. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah, and I found that I was able to see my consumption more when I had to see my trash loosely because we have probably something similar here in Lisbon where – you know, I collect all the recycling in a bag and then I bring it down to the street and I put it in the recycle bin, but I had to touch everything again. And I noticed, oh, I'm using a lot of plastic kombucha bottles and this is a lot of plastic and I don't like that. So I started making my own kombucha because I had to touch it twice. Like once when I, you know, threw it in the plastic recycle bin in my apartment and then when I took it down to the street and I threw it in there again, but in a lot of places where you just put everything in a bag, you never have to see it again yeah. and you don't have to think about it or be responsible for it. That's very true. And you actually reminded me of something. So I was watching a Skillshare class by um, 
a lady who is um, whose Instagram account is called Trashes for Tossers. Yes. And I was just really wondering how she's going about explaining um, zero waste or like sustainable living or so. And the first lesson that she gave, and it really, it just like was such a food for thought. Um, she said, you know, the first thing that you do is you take out your trash and you look at what's in it. Mm-hmm. And if you just see repetitive, uh, repetitively that you use something um, regularly, just like you said that you had your kombucha and then you decided to make it yourself, that is yep. pretty much the same way that she goes about it. She's like, if you have a lot of something, then just look for a sustainable or reusable way to do it. So for example, if someone uses a lot of baking sheets, Mm-hmm. And that's easy because you can get silicon baking sheets. You can also put them into the dishwasher and you don't have to throw them away. If, if you are someone who uses a lot of tin foil, you can mm-hmm. get um, beast wrap. If you, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So if you are someone who uses, um, I don't know, tampons, right? It's like you can get a menstrual cup or you can get period panties. Yep. So it's like what you throw away is something that you should replace first, probably. Yes, I love that. Really, really good tips about looking at what you are consuming and finding a better way. And I love it when people like carry around their trash for a day or for a week so they can see what they're throwing away. I think that's... I would not do that. I would just not. No, no. It's admirable. Yes. But it's also like, to me, it's a little bit too far. But it's a good thing to do, I think, once. And then you'll really see how much you're consuming. (laughs) I agree with that. Sure. Yeah. 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 Because when I worked at, I worked at a university for a long time and we were supposed to put our trash bins outside of our office every day so the people could come and pick up our trash. And the other people in my office were putting their trash bins out every day. And I'm like, how are you creating trash every day? Like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) Like, I didn't have to put mine out every day because I never had trash. And I don't know. It was just interesting to see, like... I think it's really training. I think it's really... Like how observant you are about your own behavior. Yeah. Yeah, that's it too. And I love it that your perspective is not to eliminate what you're doing, but to just change it. Like I like kombucha. I'm not going to stop drinking kombucha. I'm just going to make it myself and just change my behavior. It takes a half an hour a week and I make, well, every two weeks and I make my own. Yeah, exactly. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not someone who says like you should stop doing something because clearly if it makes you happy, then just keep doing it. But there's always a better way to do whatever people are doing. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do? Like you have so many good ideas for us, but is this what you do in your business? Tell me about your business. So funnily enough, I, for the past six years, I have worked as a communication consultant and I would walk into companies and work with them on their communication campaigns. And I've worked with a lot of really incredible businesses from like the biggest vegan company in Germany to 
yeah, just um, really great um, educational businesses, financial institutions, um, loads of different industries. And yeah. every time I would walk into, I would learn from the people that I've worked with, but I would also think to myself of like, how can people know this? You know, it's like, how can people figure these things out for themselves? And um, earlier this year, I started or I co-founded a company called New Standard Studio. And it is pretty much about teaching people how to think sustainably, how to do things sustainably without it costing too much effort, just because I respect that people are lazy. And um, I just think people should treat themselves um, the way that they should be treated, which is very nicely. And a lot of, a lot of things about sustainability is about um, treating yourself well. Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. And so we offer workshops, we offer um, also helping companies set up a more sustainable um, existence. Um, Yeah. If someone has questions to sustainability, we can also help with that. So you do like, like workshops and teach people how to be more sustainable in their own lives or at work or both? Um, I think, so how can people figure out how to be more sustainable at their business if they don't understand how to be more sustainable in their lives? I think it's very interconnected. And yeah. with a lot of the things that I've learned from my past clients, so many times I was like, well, how is someone supposed to know this, right? So it's like, it's also about bridging the gap between the people that already have figured out better systems and the people that might be looking for better ways of doing things. And the other thing is my co-founder is an incredible designer. So we also offer design services. Ah, Okay. That's a cool way to blend your passion and your skills. Well, we are both trained designers because I've learned how to, like my background is in, is in interior architecture, in um, fashion design and communication design. Mm -hmm. And he is trained in advertising and communication design branding. So we really just like come to the table from the, like with the, toolkit of designers yeah and um when you are trained as a designer there are a few things like one of the things is restrictions are actually helping you to get better at something or like do things better yes and uh, also as designers you learn to think in systems and you also learn to think about the environment of people so you learn to adapt the environment to a way that it can actually nudge better um, behavior as well. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. There's so many good things that you just said, but I love it that you guys have a background in communication design because something that I would love to see more of is companies telling the stories of how they're becoming more sustainable and communicating that a little bit more and not just calling it greenwashing, but saying, no, we've been doing things the wrong way and now we're doing things the right way so for you guys to help them potentially communicate their sustainability I think is really really helpful for companies I think it's always about being open about the process 
-hmm. and not, you know, not constantly showing like you have figured things out or like that company has figured things out. Yep. Because it hardly ever is that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Humility is important. I think we are all looking for people to say, "Mm, I'm not doing things perfectly, but here's what I am doing and let's try to do better. Right? Yeah, I think so. I think if you, you know, if you show the human face and if you just come to the table from the human perspective and I mean, ridiculous example, but there's this one brand that does um, bread spreads from different vegetables and each of their bread spreads it's the name of the employee that co-developed the recipe. So it's like you have, for example, Thomas Spicy um, Tomato, for example. Ah, oh, cute. Yeah, it's really cute. And then you sort of learn why they are associated with that recipe or like why the recipe for that spread is called after them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really nice way to show the humans behind the brand. Yes. Yep, for sure. That's really smart. Um, You mentioned like self-care and sustainability or taking good care of yourself is part of sustainability. Can you talk more about that? Hmm. Yeah. So where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. One thing that I've picked up on that a friend of mine, a friend of mine is writing a cookbook at the moment And it's her fourth cookbook. And in this fourth cookbook, it's more about intuitive cooking of like, how do you develop, like, how do you have more self-confidence in the kitchen? How do you, how do you feel empowered when cooking? Mm -hmm. And food is something that is very important to me. And it's actually not surprising that I have quite a few friends that have written cookbooks and are in that business. (laughs) And uh, we had this, um, she just recently posted an Instagram picture. And on this Instagram picture, she was like, you know, um, self-care starts with cooking for yourself. Yeah. And it's really when you get to this point where you make yourself your nice looking dishes And it's really just for yourself Mm -hmm. that you start looking after yourself. You know, it's like if you pay attention to what is good for you in terms of, um, I don't know, fitness, um, food that you feed yourself with, regular sleep, um, taking things at the pace that you can comprehend them, that has a lot of self-care. I mean, that is self-care, right? Yeah. And... With me, one of the things where it started was I uh, needed to save money. And then I also had this um, desire to eat vegan. Mm -hmm. But it's not always that easy to have vegan for lunch when you have the crazy lifestyle that I've always had of like lots of meeting, travels. um, Yeah. Yeah. And so what I've trained myself to do is that I would get up every morning and the first thing that I do in the morning is I cook uh, food for a lunchbox and then I started doing it for myself. Then um, 
I started doing it for myself and my partner. And now I'm also doing it for my business partner. So it's like I'm cooking free lunch boxes every morning. <laughs> oh and we're already talking to um talking to an intern that is going to join us. And we also already know that I'm also going to cook for our intern that is joining us in a few months. He doesn't know <laughs> that yet. But it really just like by me starting to cook for myself, I first think learned to how to deal with different vegetables. Yeah. It made me a much more self-confident cook. Like I've definitely become much better with cooking just because I just have more practice. Mm -hmm. And it's become much easier for me to also take care of other people just because it's not such a wide stretch to take care of someone else if I would first and foremost always take care of myself. Oh, and yeah. by knowing what grocery, like what produce it is I'm cooking with and everything is seasonal, everything is from the market, everything is, um, yeah, freshly prepared, mm -hmm. it's also much more sustainable. Or like, you know, I don't rush to, or like I choose mostly choose not to rush to a supermarket and quickly do the groceries. It's like, for me, on a Saturday morning, I actually yeah. really enjoy the ritual of going to the market where I can buy everything without packaging, Yes, where I can chat to the farmers, where I can just like choose what I'm going to eat in the following week. And it's become a very, it, it's just a very nice feeling when you notice that the farmers actually recognize you. Yes. <laughs> I have the same thing here. It, that is my sacred ritual every Saturday morning. And if someone wants to do something, I'm like, no, I'm busy Saturdays. This is my day that I go to the farmer's market and they're so patient with my very bad Portuguese, but they recognize me and they're so sweet and they try to tell me how to cook different things that I've never seen before. It's so yeah. sweet. It's kind of really knowing what you like. And I think this like yeah. knowing what you like is also something. So yesterday, that was a really beautiful moment for me because um, I went to see a friend and my partner made plans to also see his friend and they were going, they were taking our dog for a walk. And before he left, he took a pot and he made himself hot chocolate. And then he brought this hot chocolate with him because he knew that he will want to drink hot chocolate. Yeah. And it was so beautiful because by knowing that he will want to drink hot chocolate once he's outside, like once he understood his own need, he was yeah. able to prepare for it, right? And so right. like I brought my own cup without the hot chocolate. So he's like next level by now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I had my cup with me because I knew that I'm going to want to have a hot coffee once I'm out with my friend in a park. But he also prepared his hot chocolate because he was like, why should I buy it? If I know I'm going to be outside for a walk, I can also bring my hot chocolate and make it the way that I like it. Yes. And there was no trash cost in this entire process just because he had his hot chocolate and uh, also my friend that I met, which was an exceptionally interesting moment. She lives in an area that is mostly... It, it's all new buildings and there's not this city-like infrastructure of a lot of cafes and everything. 
Uh-huh. And because it's also in between the years, as we call it, it's this it's this period of time where not many places are open. And so while we were walking in this park, there were just so many. And I mean, like, I'm really not overestimating here. There were just so many people with their home coffee or like teacups walking around in this park. So everyone sort of had their own cup because just like we knew that we will want to have a cup of coffee, they also knew that they'll want to have a cup of coffee and <laughs> they were prepared for it. So it many times it really is just about being prepared. It's like two years ago, I started bringing with me cutlery just because I know that I like to eat out and, you know, it's, um, it's not such a big thing to have a cutlery with me because yeah. then I don't have to throw it away if I'm eating somewhere. Exactly. I, that is so sweet that you guys, like you take good care of yourself. That's why I make my bed every morning because I know someone is taking care of me and it's me, but someone is taking care of me and making your own hot chocolate is so sweet. And like you said, it's cheaper. So when you were converting to this vegan diet, it's just so much, it ends up being so much less expensive because you cook your own food and shopping locally at the farmer's market means that food lasts longer because it didn't Trap. ride on a truck for two days. Like it didn't have any, it didn't lose any time in transportation. You got it from the farm who probably picked it yesterday. Oh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. The food lasts longer. It's, it's definitely less expensive than at the grocery store. So that's another reason that I love going to the farmer's market, but also, yeah, that whole ritual of going there. I walk there. It's a long walk, but it's very sweet. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just very lovely to, yeah, to be, to, to feel like you are part of your own community mm-hmm. because at yeah. the end of the day, if you buy from people and not supermarkets specifically, then you really are buying from the people that grow the food and just makes it makes me feel more like I'm part of the place I live in. Mm-hmm, for sure. I definitely feel that. And it doesn't take that long. Like it's just Saturday morning and then you have food for the whole week. So you don't have to go to the grocery store every night when you think, oh no, I have to make dinner. I got to go to the grocery store. You just, you go once a week, get everything you need and then you're done. Exactly. So it's like, the other option is if someone says like they really want to sleep in on a Saturday, yeah. I also understand um, there are services that deliver directly from the farm. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's worth looking for. They are like cooperatives where people can pay to be co-owners of a farm and then they'll get a weekly delivery from the farm and they'll just get the share that they harvested, which is not always the same amount, but it definitely pays off and it's actually when you calculate it, it's even cheaper than if you go to a market or definitely if you go to the to the supermarket because what I think a lot of people forget about is that at the supermarket, because everything just looks perfect, they also have to make sure that only the perfect produce stays on the shelf, which just means that a lot of food just gets thrown away. Yeah. Yeah. And then people are also paying for that. Exactly. And paying for packaging 
and shelving and all of that stuff. But when you buy directly from the farmer, there isn't all of that expense. So what I think is so interesting, because there's this whole debate about veganism and veganism being expensive and just um, a lot of these choices being expensive. It's like, yes, maybe the first time cost costs you more. Mm-hmm. But then over time, it's really about saving money. It's like, yes, um, when I bought my thermal, uh, like thermal lunchbox, it was, I think, 38 euros, mm-hmm. which is quite a lot. Like 38 euros for a lunchbox is quite a lot. But then again, already after one week, I've saved up the money that I would have spent on the lunches if I ate somewhere else. So. <laughs> It really, a lot of the very sustainable choices have so much to do with just um, spending less. Exactly. It's so true. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. really this, this uh, like kind of this idea that um, zero waste lifestyle and sustainable lifestyle is pricey. And I actually disagree. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. Because of things like this, because of the long-term cost of buying something that lasts forever. Yeah, maybe it costs 10 or 15 euros more or dollars more, but it lasts forever. You don't have to buy it again. So you save all that money. Yeah. And it's also this thing of like how much you shop, right? It's like Mm -hmm. I always read about people that throw away food. And to me, it's just this question of like how does this happen just because when you – know what you like when you really know yourself that well you only buy whatever you know that you'll want to eat and if you look into the fridge then you know what you need to either consume or preserve and preserving again means saving money it's like either you cut it in small dice or like do something with it put it in the freezer eat it later so it's really about just like seeing what you have around you as a resource and then if you can't use it up immediately just um, do something about it to use it up later Mm-hmm. yep exactly yeah that's so good what's something you wish you were doing better we talked about a lot of things that we do but there's always something to do better so what's something you wish you were doing better for the planet yeah so um few things that I have on my radar that I definitely need to change is I'm still not quite, I still haven't quite found a good system for washing. So laundry, Uh because, um, so in Berlin, um, which is where I live, our water is very hard and Mm -hmm. we always need these anti-calc taps that we have to put into every wash. And um, the company that I'm buying them from is not a company that I buy anything else from Mm -hmm. because I choose not to. So for me, even buying those taps from that company is just like, is it really necessary? But then I know that it's just with the quality of our water. um, That's just how it is. Yeah. Um, The same thing goes for our dishwasher. So our whole water... Like our whole water systems in this household, which is laundry and dishwasher, is just like the products that are available and also just at a realistic price. Yeah. 
there's a company that is um, a very new startup and it's when you calculate through how much it costs per per wash, per tap for the dishwasher or the, or the washing machine is really is at this point just too pricey, I find. Um, mm-hmm. So that is something that I'm still kind of sitting on and thinking like I do have to do something about it, but I'm not so sure how just yet. And, you know, it's when I think about it, it's like I for years and years really despised soap. I just really didn't like the idea of soap. And mm-hmm. then it might have been a friend of mine or someone who showed me those, like, it's called sisal, which is just this natural material that you can put a soap in and then it starts foaming. Yeah, yeah. And ever since I have something like that, soap is not a problem anymore. So it is just like you have something that you do a certain way that you don't really like, and then it might take a while to sort of work through how you're going to solve it. Right. But then you've solved it and it's fine. And that is sort of the situation for me with, um, yeah, our dishwasher and our washing machine where I'm like, I'm not so happy with what we are using at this moment, but I'm also already on the lookout of how I'm going to change that. Okay. I like that. And sometimes we just have to say, well, I do everything else (laughs) very consciously. But it means like, you know, it's... It's not even about this, I do everything else consciously. It's really about just knowing that this is something that you don't like. Yep. Um, And even though you do it a certain way, eventually there'll be a better solution for it. So it's not about this, like, oh, I already do all these other things. It's just like, yeah, that's still just something that needs to be worked through because I completely understand when people don't change certain things because they don't see... A better solution for it right and many times there is a better solution for things yeah and there's an energy around it too like every time you do the laundry you're probably not happy about it and that energy is transferred somewhere yeah and we want happy energy <laughs> hopefully into like how can i how can i fix it right so it's like yeah that is sort of always this energy that yeah it's like I think everyone kind of has something that they really like. Um, and eventually there might be something else that they like more. It's like my classic example for this is I always thought that I would never be able to give up cheese. That was yeah. like, you know, it's like milk, fine. But like cheese to me, it was just like irreplaceable. Yep. And then... And then also people always say like, oh, I have to eat less of this or like, don't do this. And it's just like, no, eventually I found out that there's this one company that does absolutely incredible spreads for bread that I told you, told you about already. It's called Alos. And just like their spreads are so good that you don't want to eat anything else because you're eating this at that moment. And just because cheese is an addiction, if we keep stick with that example. It's like after three weeks, after three, four weeks, you don't miss cheese anymore. And once you've like found joy in something else, you're just going to eat this something else. And it's like, you know, now I don't miss cheese because I'm like, yeah, but I can also eat this and it's delicious. 
And yeah. by now, I also have all the reasons why I don't even want to eat cheese. Mm -hmm. Yep, I know. I had the exact same experience where after a while, you don't miss it anymore at all. And I have vegan cheese and I keep it in the freezer because I never even care to use the vegan cheese because you just don't miss that texture and that taste. And I feel like milk and cheese coats your tongue with like I don't know. Like you can't even taste food for real. What? What does the <laughs> cheese coat your tongue with? <laughs> like it like you have like a film on your tongue and you can't taste real food. Oh, I think food tastes so much better now that I don't have cheese. Okay. You should use this as a headline. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's one of the things that people just really cannot believe. Until yeah. they've experienced it with just a lot of things. It's like exactly. always this like, oh, I could not live without coffee. Um, also a great example from my partner. He uh, stopped drinking coffee earlier this year. And he was one of the people that would just like drink five cups of coffee a day or mm -hmm. just like a lot of coffee. And people always say like, oh, I can't live without coffee. Yeah. And For myself, I do have to say I'm so lucky because I'm not someone who gets addicted quickly. So it's like, you know, when I think about my teenage years, I would be able to smoke through the whole night, just like a lot of cigarettes. And the next day I just wouldn't miss it. So I have the same relationship with coffee and everything. It's just like I can get very excited for a few hours and then the next day I'm like, I'm fine. That's it. But nice. he has been drinking which is why I can't take myself as an example. But he has been drinking a lot of coffee and earlier this year he stopped and it was two weeks of, oh my gosh, um, depression, being very sleepy, being very, like he really wasn't feeling well. But you could, you could notice that after sort of seven days, it kind of started, this like coffee spell started lifting. Yeah. And now he just really doesn't need it. It's like, it really is just like, there's no reason for him to drink coffee. He doesn't enjoy the smell anymore. Mm -hmm. So it, he's completely out of it. And it was also just like two weeks of not consuming coffee because coffee is a trained taste, just like cigarettes is a trained taste, just like meat is a trained taste, just like alcohol is a trained taste. And once you break the habit And it's so much more about habits than, and rituals than it is about that specific thing. Because it's also not about, oh, you know, I'll miss cheese. It's like, no, at what occasions do you usually eat cheese? And if you eat cheese for breakfast or when you just come home after work and you just quickly want to have something on a bread, then it's not about, oh, I can't eat cheese anymore. It's about What do I want to eat instead? If coffee is your ritual in the morning and you just really love this like moment of coffee, but also you know that it's making you feel addicted, then it's about pushing through two weeks and then getting used to a different ritual that you get to enjoy as much as you enjoyed that one. Yes, exactly. To replace it with something better. Yep. That's good. I've actually never had coffee. What? <laughs> so, okay. I've Most people drink coffee that I would not want to drink. And it's like, I've always been considered a coffee snob just because I'm so particular with what sort of coffee I taste and what coffee I definitely don't even want to touch. 
Yeah. It's like I would look at a restaurant and be like, well, I'm definitely not drinking coffee there. <laughs> um, so I'm like super picky with coffee. But um, I do I do enjoy the ritual. And I think it's got to do with me being a Viennese after all. You know, it's like right. the coffee culture is just part of who we are. And so yeah. giving it up would also mean that I would give up a piece of being from Vienna. Mm-hmm. which I do yeah. struggle with. It's a very, very Portuguese thing. They drink coffee all day, just a tiny little cup of coffee, but that's what they do. And it takes them two hours somehow to drink this tiny little cup of coffee. But it's a social thing and they, you want to go get a cup of coffee? And I, I always say, yes, but I'm not going to have coffee. I'll have a little tea or lemon water or whatever. But yeah, it's it's part of the culture. And if you don't do it, you get left out. So Oh, you, I do. You just or like you develop a different or a better I, ritual. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah like I do the lemon water. It's about what is good for yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you treat yourself a certain way that you enjoy? And yep. um, yeah, what do you want to do instead if something is kind of the status quo that you don't necessarily enjoy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have just a couple more questions for you. You touched on this a little bit, but what frustrates you about the sustainability movement? I think the whole discussion about sacrifice is a discussion that I find very frustrating. Mm -hmm. I just dislike how everyone's constantly talking about doing less of this, um, you know, consuming less of that. It's always about less and sacrificing something that you're already doing. Yeah. And I really think it's the wrong spin because if you're doing less of something, you're probably doing more of something else. Or if you're consuming less of that, you're probably consuming more of something else. So instead of just like constantly focusing on what are you missing out on to focus on what are you going to gain by refocusing mm. your energy. Yeah, that's so important because I don't feel like it's a sacrifice at all, but it is in the language we use, like give up this, give up plastic, use less, use less. But it's just a transition, as you've been saying, like figure out what you would prefer and do that thing instead. Yeah, I think it's always like, you know, changing something is hard, but living mm-hmm. the change is not hard at all because then it's just another habit. So it's like, sure, at the beginning, getting up in the morning and starting to cook. And I also remember, so I used to do this when I was living by myself. And then I met my partner and I really remember the the first few weeks of him staying over and me being like, am I now going to get up to cook or am I going to stay in this warm bed and cuddle up a bit more? It was Mm -hmm. just like, what am I going to (laughs) do? But then I was like, yeah, but I do really like my lunches. And so instead of being like, well, okay, um, I'm just going to get up and make my own lunch. I just also made him a lunch. And um, it really impressed him. That's the first thing. But also oh, cute. it was just like, you know, I just stayed true to myself and just kept taking care of myself the way I wanted to. And instead of just not doing something, I just 
made more of it. That is adorable. I love that. And the snuggle would have felt good, but making his lunch probably felt so good. It was just nice. And it's, you know, it's still, it's still nice. And it's like at the beginning, it like, it was a bit of a crazy thing, but then I started listening to podcasts in the morning while cooking. Yeah. And now it's like, by the time I sit at the breakfast table and like all of this might sound completely crazy to some people that like get up and are at work an hour later, because I do have to say I get up every day at seven and I don't mm-hmm. start working until 10. So it's like, yeah. oh have these three hours and it's like every single time someone asks me for a meeting at nine it makes me panic because it just doesn't give me enough time for cooking and having an extensive breakfast and then like cycling to work where I also go sort of a longer way so that my dog can run next to the bike so I do need quite a lot of time yeah in the morning, but it's also my time, you know, it's like I already sort of lived my own day before I had to answer to other people's demands. Yep. I have the same thing. My non-negotiable is a long, slow morning. That's what I like. I Yep. I eat my breakfast. Maybe I go for a run or do yoga or something, but like that self-care first thing in the morning yeah, you can't interrupt it. <laughs> I think it's really important. I really think mm-hmm. that it's like everyone should take the time to be true to what's important to them because I think people start becoming unhappy when all they do is to answer to others and answer yeah. to the demands of others. So I think everyone needs to take up space. And I think it's much harder for people that have kids Mm-hmm. But yeah. I've seen some fascinating parenting models in my in my surrounding where they would sort of split up the days and be like, well, those three days you take off the kid and those three days you take off the uh, you take care of the kid. And then, you know, one day we have together with the kids or so. So it's like they also always really try to give the other person space. Oh, yeah. And I think that's really important as well. Yeah, I think so too. Hmm. That's sweet. Well, are you optimistic about the future of climate change and sustainability and all of this? So I truly believe, and it's funny because there's another podcast that that asks the same question. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) And what I think is so fascinating is no one ever said anything negative. Like, we are such an optimistic species that every single person on this podcast, because they always say like, how do you feel about the future? Are we doomed? And everyone's like, no, I really feel optimistic about this because, and then they give their reason. But I do think that, you know, we are such an inventive species as humans. And I definitely feel very optimistic about the future from the, from the technological point of view yeah what I do want to I think what worries me more is that that we have so many rituals and traditions that we kind of try to imitate our ancestors and our parents and our grandparents and just like you know we try to do things like they have always been Mm -hmm. and 
I feel like we are living in a diff- in such a different world that a lot of our traditions are no longer contemporary. Yeah. And so what I hope is that more people are going to stand up and create new traditions and change the status quo of how things have always been done. And so it's not just from the technological perspective that I would say like, you know, I think we are going to fix this because I do think that we are going to fix this, but I also hope that they are going to be much many more culture makers that will come up with more, um, yeah, future-focused, um, future-ready rituals and traditions and celebrations and um, create a world that is more equal and just for everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's beautiful. Well, it's funny because the reason I ask this question is because I'm not optimistic. And so I need to hear from people who are. (laughs) Maybe you should listen to this other podcast as well. I should. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But your point is so true that we need to come up with new rituals and traditions that are a little more sustainable. And that's the way to do things for the future. Very wise. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation. There's so many good things in here. Oh my gosh. I love it. I could talk to you forever. (laughs) Like everyone would be like, oh, can they please stop? (laughs) (laughs) I know. No, we're not stopping. We're going to keep talking about this because it's good. (laughs) I mean, if, you know, if people are interested, we do publish, um, blog posts on our company blog and I have gotten quite a lot of feedback from our editor who's been like oh every single time I edit your articles they are so positive and optimistic so um, you know if someone needs a little bit of optimism they find it on newstandard.studio okay good I will definitely link to that so people can get more positive most people are more optimistic than I am I I don't know if it's because I'm a Scorpio, but (laughs) I find that most people are optimistic. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Monica. She definitely gives me more hope and I love her perspective about self-care and how knowing yourself and knowing what you want and what you need helps you make better and more sustainable decisions. I've never heard that perspective before, but It makes so much sense when you anticipate what you want and you know you like something, you can buy a more permanent thing. You can do something that's more sustainable than having disposable stuff all the time. When you anticipate your own needs, you can take good care of yourself and the planet. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. It's such a cool perspective. And... Earlier in the episode, she mentioned the sustainable development goals. So I'm going to link to that on halfhippypodcast.com on her episode. Um, You can find it in the show notes. If you click more or details or something like that, where you're listening to this episode, you'll be able to find the link and you can go check those out. I was searching through those, um, those listings and those rankings for so long just to look at what they're measuring and the spillovers like she was saying how you know we measure our own country but then we have also have to measure what our country is doing to other countries so i thought that was really cool and that's a resource that is just fun to explore 
So I'm going to link to that for you. Also her, uh, her website as well. So you can check out New Standard Studio for her optimism and her really unique take on all of this. I am impressed and motivated and a little more optimistic. So thank you, Monica, and thank you all for listening, and I'll catch you soon.